on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1. Streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, and my guest today, and I'm so excited to have her here, is documentary filmmaker and daughter of renowned actor Paul Henreid, Monica Henreid. Lovely to have you here, Monica. Thank you, Jan. My pleasure. It's, I, I've been looking forward to this interview uh, for a long, long time. Uh, just to disclose, Monica and I met in the ladies' room at the Turner Classic Movies Film Festival uh, last year, and we started chatting, and I knew then I wanted to have you on the show. You always meet the most interesting people in the ladies' room, don't you? Oh, always, especially at the Hollywood Roosevelt. <laughs> what could be more classic Hollywood than that? Exactly, exactly. Well, you have been busy working on a documentary about your father, and as I said to you, um, I I was homesick with the flu, and uh, all I did was watch old movies, and I had recorded many of your father's films, and just, you know, loved each and every one of them. But uh, let's talk a little bit about, because I, I think it was uh, Train to Munich, or was it Midnight Train to Munich, or Night Train to Night. Munich? Close enough. Night train. Night train to you, Munich. He he had a much longer name. So let's talk a little bit about how and when he shortened his name. Well, if you really want to start with that, we have to go back just a little bit farther when on his birth certificate it actually says his name is Paul von Hernried Ritter von Faisal Waldingau. Wow. So that on a marquee would be, well, ridiculous. So he became Paul von Herrnried, and then uh, then after doing the films in um, London and also actually appearing on the stage there, it was thought, again, it needed to be, um, shall we say, less Germanic-sounding because that was indeed the late 30s, 38, 39. And then by the time he came to the United States, of course, they wanted to Americanize it even more. But, I mean, still to this day, I'm having to explain to people how to pronounce it or how to uh, spell it and and it's really it's it's all okay it's all okay we all go through changes (laughs) (laughs) yes yes So, so tell us a little bit about his career how he got started in the film industry well he actually got started in the theater that was his main love as a young man when asked by his mother and uncles what he wanted to do with his life when he graduated from uh the equivalent of, of high school was that he said he wanted to be a doctor. And, of course, the uncles, who were all bankers, said, well, that's out of the question because it's too expensive and you're not a good enough student. So what else do you want to do? And he said, well, I want to be an actor. And they said, don't be ridiculous. We've never had one in the family and we never will. And then what else would you like to do? And he said, well, I think I, I love books. So anything that has to do with books. So he took a job as an apprentice. Uh, for a publishing house in Vienna and eventually was making enough money where he could pay for theater classes, which then led to him joining the actual uh, conservatory, uh, uh, theater conservatory in, in Vienna. And out of that, you know, as they say, one thing leads to another. He had the opportunity to go and work with Reinhardt. That led to him doing plays in Vienna, starting his career actually in his early 20s and uh, getting, you know, bit parts in movies and then slowly but surely getting better and bigger parts. And that actually ultimately 
uh, that sort of combination of theater and film took him to London and the parts in the English films, British films, of course, were much bigger and better and uh, got him some recognition in film. So it, 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 it's like everybody's career, you know, it starts in one place and grows and grows and grows. He never lost his love for doing theater. Uh, he always whenever he had the opportunity even until the 1970s he went back and did theater he did Don Juan in Hell so and then you know he he would do uh, guest appearances on uh, television shows and things like that and he did a few films too but by then he was directing more than doing anything else he decided to move from in front of the camera to behind the camera what what made him transition into becoming a director Pretty much being blacklisted for the third time in his life. Wow! Talk and that was because that's... of the house. He was a member of the committee for the First Amendment, and the the backlash from that um, literally cut him off from work from all of the major studios in Hollywood. They would not touch him, so he had to go to work in independent films, and that allowed him to. Um, since they couldn't pay him his full, full salaries in these smaller companies, he was he was just, you know, graying the area, so to speak. I mean, he got more involved in looking at the financing of the film. He got more involved in looking at the pro- producing end of a film. He got more involved in what it takes to be a director. And it's, again, it just, it sort of organically evolved, which, of course, worked out pretty well for all of us. That's great. But uh, where else was he blacklisted? You said he was blacklisted three times. The first time was in uh, in Austria, Germany, um, by Goebbels, who um, he was going to, to take a contract at UFA, and when he found out he had to sign with the National Socialist German Film Guild, uh, he said no, and he sort of threw that back in their face, and then they got very unhappy about it, and they blacklisted him from doing film. They were actually... Uh, taking his name off of films he'd already done. Wow. Then when he went to England and he was beginning to have a success, it was, like I said, the end of the 30s, and that was not a good time to have a number one Germanic name or to be an Austrian in England. So he was considered an enemy alien first class, and he and my mother were going to be separated and either deported or sent to detention camps. And uh, he couldn't work in England anymore. And an American producer had seen him in one of the plays and then agreed to sign him and bring him to the United States to do theater on Broadway. So he did not have to be split up from your mother then? No. It, I mean, really, it, their whole story is, is a Hollywood movie. You couldn't, you couldn't write this. <laughs> you know, what they experienced, what, what they went through in their young years, and, and they, because they were in their 20s. They were in their late 20s when all of this was happening. Let's talk. Well, I do want to talk about your parents' relationship and get into it because there's, you know, so few marriages in Hollywood that last us a lifetime, like theirs did. Um, and but also to surviving being blacklisted in, you know, three different times in three different countries is kind of amazing, mm-hmm. and overcoming that too. Um, so, do you want to talk a little bit more about how that affected him, the being back blacklisted, how it affected him, not only just his career, but just how it affected him on a personal level. Yeah, I, there's there's nothing fun about rejection, even though you get quite accustomed to it as an actor, because 
you know, what is the product you're selling? You're selling yourself. Right. So there is an element of taking every one of those rejections personally. But I think when you do it on such a grand scale where you're being told that you can no longer work in the industry of your choice in the country in which you live or in the city within which you live and both, actually, it it's a bit overwhelming. Lucky for him that he did meet my mother and that that they did literally fall in love, as in romantically in love. She came from a, a family of artists. She came from a family of playwrights. And and uh, my grandfather, her father, was the director of the Kunsthistorische Museum in Vienna for 30 years. So he was... He not only got a wonderful girlfriend and then wife, but he got a whole family that could support him and understand him and and help him get through these really, really dark times. How but wonderful. it did, yes, I, I would say yes, he, he very much was um, hurt by this. And being a sensitive person in the first place, he, he did take it personally, but again, she was... She was always there to encourage him, and she'd always tell him, yes, we're going to get through this, and we're going to make it happen, and whatever you want to do with your career, we're all here to support you. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. so wonderful. Yeah. That's what everybody needs, especially in the arts. Go ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how did they meet? And tell, Can you talk, talk a little bit about their relationship? Because it was a love story. Uh, Absolutely a love story. They, they each went to... Um, private school. She had gone to an all-girls school. He went to uh, an all-boys school. In Vienna? This is in Vienna? In in Vienna, yes, in Vienna. And they had met probably when they were in their mid-teens, but they had met met sort of only in passing. And um, years later, he, I think it might have been the opening night of a play he was in with the Reinhardt company, one of his friends said, oh, we've got to go to this, you know, after party, and he didn't want to go, and whatever. Anyway, the friend convinced him to go, and actually got him a blind date, and off they went to this party. And across the room, literally, there's my mother with her date, um, who she probably wasn't very happy with either, and um, when they did meet eye to eye and then start talking to each other, they realized that they had met when they were teenagers. And both of them not being happy at this particular party, my father said, well, I think I have to go now. And my mother said, okay, I'll give you a ride. I have a car. <laughs> so she, they, the two couples got in the car, uh, my mother dropped off her date, dropped off my father's date, and went to the top of the Kobenzl, which is a beautiful hill at the edge of the Vienna woods, and danced and drank champagne and talked for the rest of the night, never even noticing that the sun was coming up over the city of Vienna, and literally never parted each other's company for the next almost 60 years. Wow. Wow. That's a love story. That is a love story. I love it. I love it. I love love stories, too. So, um, in your documentary, uh, which you're working on, is that an integral part of the documentary, their relationship? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He, I think, honestly, he would not have succeeded were it not for her, for her encouragement, for her patience and her love, and, and again, her family. Because she surrounded him, 
he cushioned her family cushioned him from everything that was bad and difficult and and heartbreaking they were all there to support even to the point where when my parents were living in los angeles um my father who had had some success in film rather quickly could afford to bring her parents and other members of the family over to the united states and actually buy them a house in santa monica so they were all together again wow Wow, yeah. that's wonderful. Really, really that's wonderful. nice. So you grew up with your grandparents nearby then? Yes. That's wonderful, too. Not, not my father's parents. My, my father's father uh, passed away during the First World War, and my father's mother, though she was given the choice and did come and visit us quite, I wouldn't say frequently, but a few times that I remember from my childhood, she chose to go live with her younger son, my father's younger brother, and they lived in South Africa. Oh, nice. Did you ever yeah. go over there to visit? I didn't. I, I, wish, I wish the opportunity had arisen, but they, they traveled and visited us. My, I did meet my uncle, and I did meet my grandmother. That's nice. If you are just listening, if you're just tuning in, and you are listening to the Jam Price Show all about movies, and my guest today is Monica Henried, and she is a documentary filmmaker and the daughter of famous film actor Paul Henry and we're talking about her father's career today so he so he came over to America um, via this was it a producer you said or a director who uh, had yes him? and a producer a producer so what happened once he reached uh, America <laughs> well an, another you know one of those moments and again this is why I keep saying this is why this story is so amazing somehow he was always in the right place at the right time and the wrong place at the wrong time hmm. so there were either great <laughs> highs or, or great lows in his career in his life um, he had been brought he was being brought to Broadway to appear opposite Helen Hayes. And when he arrived, and they literally were very, very limited as to what they could bring because it was during the war and, and it was, you know, it was, for whatever reason, Europeans, especially, again, Austrians or Germans, were being held at bay a bit. Um, he, When they arrived, they had a very limited amount of money and the assumption was though there i don't know that there was a written contract there might have been a limited contract they were put up in a nice hotel and then within 24 48 hours found out that helen hayes's schedule had changed and was not available to do this play and then he would just have to wait and again my mother with all of her spirit said well okay fine i'll find an apartment i'll get a job she was a couturier designer and a costume designer in Europe and had had a fabulously successful career on her own. Hence, she could afford to buy her own automobile. Wow. Which, which had made its definite impression on my father. And, uh, you know, it, it was just, it, it was one of those moments where it was really her turn, so to speak. And she said, okay, it's, it, I'm going to go, I'll get a job, I'll find us an apartment. She, what she didn't tell him was that she was literally taking all of the money that they had and, in, and spending it on one month on the most expensive apartment in the best neighborhood that she could find in New York City. Whatever other change they had was enough for food. And that was it. And my father absolutely panicked. What 
are you doing? What are you thinking? I don't, my English is not American enough. They're not going to understand what I'm saying. Nobody's going to give me a job. I don't know what's going to happen. She just stopped him dead in his tracks and said, you'll have a job in, in, in less than 30 days. And then we can afford to stay here. And she was right. <laughs> I love it. I love she it. She was absolutely right. She, she found a, a job for herself so that they would have a, a small income. Uh, uh, I don't remember the name of the designer, but somewhere on Fifth Avenue, quite posh, because like I said, her reputation had preceded her. And um, they lived in this apartment rather beautifully. And he went to a couple of auditions, all of which went quite poorly. And then he went and met with Elmer Rice, who had written a play called Flight to the West, which would star his wife, Betty Field, and a couple of young punks that hadn't done anything or much of anything before. One was Carl Malden. Oh, my goodness. The other one was Hugh Marlowe. Um, who also became lifelong friends with my parents, of course. And um, my father went to this audition and, and had read the pages that he was supposed to read for Elmer Rice uh, and apparently was not well taken by He didn't like them at all. And when he did sit in front of Mr. Rice to make his audition, he said, you know, it's really hard for me to say these things because this is not how a Nazi speaks. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, the first time I heard this story about my father, I kind of laughed, and then I thought about it, and I went, yeah, he, he has that kind of, I, it's not really arrogance, but this kind of um, confidence that he knows what he knows. He had spent enough years dealing with Nazis, he had spent enough time playing Nazis, and he always wanted to prove to the audiences that Nazis were not all heavy-handed thugs, they were educated, sharp charming very often people and that's what he wanted to play so you could see that there would be a reason that people could get caught up in these stories and beliefs this unfortunate time in our history but that there there was a, that it was possible that people would believe the, the the propaganda that nazis would spread so mr rice said to him well do you think you can write it better and my father said yes <laughs> <laughs> All right, you have the weekend to to rewrite what you think, write or make the notes accordingly, and then bring it on, on come back on Monday. And he did that, and as they say, the rest is history because he got the role and he played the role on Broadway. And and what was the what was the play? What was the name of the play? Flight to the West. Flight to the West. Right, flight to the West. Flight to the West. And and the beauty again of the coincidence and the cosmos working in one's favor after all of the difficult times that they had had together. The same time that he was in this play on Broadway, Night Train to Munich opened literally a block and a half away. Wow. So from being completely unknown, he went to having his name on two marquees um, in New York City simultaneously. Wow. How exciting. That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. How exciting. So how long was he in the play? I think the play ran in two increments, and it was done through the Writers Guild, I believe. I'm sorry, I don't have that at my fingertips That's right okay. now. But it's all right. They, they had a, it was successful enough where they could move it to another, when, when the one run finished, they moved it to another theater. It, it was quite well received. It was, again, one of those plays that was difficult because it did deal with, with Nazis and it did deal with propaganda and it you know it, it wasn't uh any get your gun it wasn't hello dolly you right, know it was right. a, a very somber think piece did he ever do the play with helen hayes no no never that never <laughs> happened that never happened 
that never happens. And she's such an amazing state well, actress, stage actress in particular. Indeed. So, yeah. Yes. So, so where did he go from there? So he did this play, and he had the night train to Munich, and they and and was time. spotted by a, a talent agent, I believe, from RKO originally. Who again? They brought them out to to Hollywood to Beverly Hills. Put them up at the Beverly Hills Hotel um, for a film to star with Ginger Rogers. And he was upside down and inside out happy because she had won the Oscar. And he thought that would just be the best, you know, jumping off point for a Hollywood career. And after, I think, again, 24 hours at the Beverly Hills Hotel, uh, the agent said, no, Ginger Rogers is not going to do the film. Oh, <laughs> What was so the film? once again, what my was, mother to the rescue. What was the film? Um, Do you know the name? Do you remember the name of the I, film? I don't. Okay. I think it, it, it may have been Joan of Paris, which is what he ultimately ended up doing. Okay. Or it may have been something else in between. Okay. I, I don't actually know. But anyway, he, when he went to the studio, um, they were to introduce him to Michelle Morgan, and, and he just thought to himself... Oh, great, terrific. A Hollywood premiere role for us, a French girl and an Austrian. That What chance have we got of having careers, you know, that didn't seem, it, it, it wasn't seemly that that would be a good way to start a career. He thought it should be opposite someone who was already established in Hollywood. Ultimately, it didn't. It didn't work out badly at all. They both had very nice careers. And that's uh, Joan of Paris? Joan of Paris Joan of with Paris. Michelle Morgan. With yes. Michelle Morgan. Wow. So, yeah. so you said your mother, you, you said, I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but you said your mother kind of uh, stepped up and again. And what, at what point was that? I mean, what, did she well, do? <laughs> what did she do when she stepped up again? She was doing it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> He had to because, it, you know, his career would would rise and then something would happen and he was supposedly moving on to the next step. And as soon as he got to whatever the next step was, something would collapse, something would be pulled out from under him. And she would be there one more time saying, no, 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 it's just another stupid, you know, stepping stone and we'll get through it and it'll be OK. And he's saying, well, we'll go somewhere else or go back to New York. And she's saying no. You know, I mean, she was she was always the one to. I mean, that expression, the wind beneath his wings, mm, Yeah, that was yeah. her. That's who she was. Wow. And they were, you know, they were intellectually uh, on the same level. They were artistically on the same level. They were, for many years, financially on the same level. There, there, was, there were a lot of reasons why their relationship worked True. for a long time. Truly amazing. Well, I am looking forward. We're gonna. We are going to. You're so fascinating, and I oh, want to hear thanks. more yeah. about your father's career for sure. So we have a lot more to talk about. So we're gonna have you back on the show for part two. So we thank you for being on the show. My Monica. pleasure. Thank you so much, thank Monica. You. You're thank welcome. you, Jan. You're welcome. Uh-huh. Go to the Jam Price Show on Facebook to learn about upcoming shows. And while you're there, like my page. And to listen to the Price Movie Minute movie reviews and to listen to archived shows that you may have missed, go to thejampriceshow.com. On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio, Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. Hi, this is Rich Little. Join me in beautiful Carmel-by-the-Sea the weekend of March the 29th and 30th to celebrate 
the legendary Doris Day's 97th birthday. Enjoy a 60th anniversary screening of Pillow Talk with film host Ben Makowitz and Q&A with Doris's co-stars Jackie Joseph, Peter Marshall, and me. And a special concert by Michael Feinstein. Auctions, raffle, dog adoptions, and more. Proceeds benefit the Doris Day Animal Foundation. Hey, I'll even bring along Doris's leading men like uh, Clark Gable, uh, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, or Terry Grant. Visit DorisDayAnimalFoundation.org for tickets and more information.